Welcome to the Word for Today, featuring the Bible teaching of Pastor Chuck Smith, founder of the Calvary Chapel Movement. This radio program is a verse-by-verse study through the entire Bible. And on today's edition of the Word for Today, Pastor Chuck continues with the freedom of choice as we pick up in Genesis chapter 2, verse 16. And now with today's message, here's Pastor Chuck. Look at those nations ruled by communism today. How they have taken away the freedoms of choice and made them very restricted and very restrictive. And as we see in this country, more and more governmental controls, we realize that with each new law, there comes a confining of the freedom of choice. But always where the Christian gospel has gone, it has taken with it a respect for the freedom of choice because God gave to us the freedom of choice. And we respect it as a God-given capacity. But what value would it be to have a freedom of choice if there was nothing to choose? It would be totally meaningless that God gave to me the power to choose, but I don't have anything to choose. It's all there. It's all laid out. There's no law. There's no restriction. There's nothing. Therefore, I have no choice to make. Therefore, my power of choice is really meaningless. So in order that the power of choice be meaningful, God had to give a choice. God had to make a restriction in order that man's obedience to God might be meaningful. God had to give the opportunity to disobey and the choice to disobey. The power of choice is the thing that makes man something other than a robot. God could have made us all robots. With no choices, every decision coming from a superior mind that is controlling every action, every decision of my whole life and my body and everything else. But God didn't want a bunch of robots because you could never receive meaningful love or meaningful fellowship from a robot. For love to be meaningful, the power of choice must be there. For obedience to be meaningful, the power of choice must be there. And so that my worship of God, my love for God, might be fully meaningful to God, He gave to me the capacity of choice. I don't have to worship Him. I don't have to love Him. I can choose to do it or not to do it. That's my choice. But when I choose to love God, then my love for God becomes meaningful unto God because it's a choice. I'm not a robot. I'm not just responding in a preset condition that God has built into my mental apparatus where he pushes a button in heaven and there are certain little flashes go across my brain and my body responds automatically 
to these impulses from God, and I say, I love you, God. <laughs> Doesn't turn anybody on. God wants our love to be meaningful. He gave us the power of choice, but then he had to give us something to choose. But in order that the power of choice be meaningful, not only must there be something to choose, but then God must respect the choice that I make. In other words, he can't force me to choose. It isn't an arm-twisting God that has you in a hammer hold and says, say, praise the Lord, say, praise the Lord. <laughs> praise the Lord. <laughs> If he forced me to choose, then it's no longer meaningful. So he respects the choice that I made. If I make a choice, he says, oh, no, you can't do that. Then what's the value of having a choice? So God has given me the free will, the power to exercise that free will, and then he respects the choices that I have made. Ooh, that's awesome. For that means that I have the capacity to choose my own destiny, to be with God or not to be with God. And when I make my choice, God respects the choice that I make. And if I choose not to be with God, he honors that choice. Now, this is why it is so ridiculous to say, well, how can a God of love send a man to hell? He doesn't. He never did. He never will. Man goes there by his own choice, which God respects and honors. If you choose to go to hell, God will respect your choice. Otherwise, giving you the power of choice would be meaningless. And then so it is very awesome to realize that capacity of God, that God-like capacity that I have of choosing, choosing my destiny. Now, God calls upon us to make a choice, and God does seek to influence our choices. But when you come to the bottom line, the choice is yours. Satan is also seeking to influence your choice. But the bottom line is, is that neither God nor Satan makes the choice for you. You make the choice for yourself. Every man is responsible for his own destiny. God has created us that way. And so he placed the tree. He gave the warning, and then he left man for his own choice. And the Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone. Now that is God's recognition of man's basic incompleteness by himself. God, when he looked at man, said it's not good that man should be alone. Man is incomplete by himself. 
God said, I will make a helpmeet for him. Now out of the ground, the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every fowl of the air, and he brought them unto Adam to see what he would call them. And whatsoever Adam called every living creature, that was the name thereof. Now imagine that. What a, what a mind God must have given to Adam. As he brought before Adam all of the animals and everything, and he said, that's a cow, that's a horse, that's a dog, that's a cat. And he named all of the animals and all of the birds. But in all of the animal kingdom, there wasn't found a companion or a helpmeet for Adam. And so the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam. And as he slept, he took one of his ribs. Now just, he, he took, he opened up his side and, and he took, and a rib is not, probably quite correct here. There is another Hebrew word for rib, and just what this particular Hebrew word means is ambiguous. We can't be sure, but God took something out of Adam, perhaps even a blood transfusion, or maybe a cell. Maybe God cloned him. Who knows? Interesting concept, this cloning bit, realizing that the cell is far more complex than we originally thought, that there is the design pattern for the whole body and just a cell in your arm. So where this particular passage used to create a lot of problems to some of the problemed people, <laughs> all of a sudden it looks like something out of science fiction, that man is just about come to the place where we can clone, they think. And they're talking a lot today. In fact, there's a quite an interesting book that's created quite a controversy on cloning. But God took out of Adam's side, and we'll say ribs just because we don't know what it is, and he closed up the flesh instead thereof. And the rib which the Lord God had taken from man made he a woman and brought her unto the man. Now, as I said, this has caused a lot of problems. People say, well, they don't believe the Bible can be the word of God because man has the same number of ribs that a woman has. Well, that sure isn't very logical thinking by the person who presents that kind of an argument, is it? Because if, say, you lost your arm in an accident, it doesn't mean your child is going to be born without an arm, does it? Or you've chopped a finger off, it doesn't mean if you have a little boy, he's going to be missing his index finger. So if God took a rib out of Adam, it wouldn't mean that his child would be minus that rib. You'd have to go find Adam's skeleton someplace to see if there was a missing rib. You couldn't, you know, look at man today and say, well, man has the same number and all, because that would not follow. We know better than that. But there is that deep, intimate relationship between man and woman. 
So deep that Adam said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh, and she shall be called Ishish, because she was taken out of Ish. Therefore, shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. And they were both naked, man and his wife, and were not ashamed. So now we have God establishing the basic relationship between a man and a woman in marriage. Therefore a man shall leave his mother and father and cleave unto his wife, and they too become one flesh. That's God's basic establishment of marriage. The two become one. The deepest, the most intimate bond. The two becoming one in marriage. The man cleaving to his wife. This is basic. This is the beginning of things. This is how God started it. This is how God intended it to be. Now, man had difficulty living up to God's plan and to God's intentions. When Jesus came, he sought to bring man back to God's basic design and purpose. And thus Jesus was teaching the sacredness of the marriage vows and the endurance of the marriage vows. And the Pharisees, recognizing now a, a difference between what Jesus was saying and what the law of Moses said, were seeking to trap Jesus, showing that he was teaching other than the law of Moses. And so they said to him, is it lawful for a man to put away his wife for any cause? And Jesus said, if a man puts away his wife and marries another, except it be for fornication, he causes her to commit adultery, and whoso marries her commits adultery. Oh, ho, ho, trap is shut. How is it then that Moses said, let him give her a writing of a bill of divorcement. We caught you. You're saying something contrary to Moses' law. We know that God gave the law to Moses. There's no question about that. We've trapped you. We've caught you. You're contrary to Moses' law. What did Jesus do? He went back and antedated Moses' law. Jesus said, in the beginning it wasn't so. For in the beginning, God made them male and female. And for this cause shall a man leave his mother and father and shall cleave to his wife, and they too become one flesh. And it was because of the hardness of your hearts that Moses said, let him give her a writing of divorcement. Because man's heart was hard and would not come to God's divine ideal. The law of divorce was established, but that was never God's original plan. 
In the beginning, it was not so. We've come back now to the beginning, that which Jesus came back to, the basic purposes of God in marriage. That once for life, a man leaving his mother and father, cleaving to his wife, and the two of them becoming one flesh. And because of the hardness of man's hearts, his inability to attain or to obey God's best, we look at our society and our world today and we see the multitude of problems that have arisen out of the hardness of our hearts leaving the basic beginning purposes of God in marriage. There's something wrong today with our whole concepts of love. I get so tired of hearing a husband or a wife say, well, I never really love them. I don't think I love them. I don't think I ever love them. Listen, if you don't love, don't get married. Where's your head? What are you thinking about? That's a terrible thing to say to your mate. Well, I don't think I ever really loved you. It's tragic. So there's, there's a basic problem in our whole dating system. And one of the basic problems of the whole dating system is that couples are getting deeply involved physically without even knowing each other emotionally. That is in a true deep sense. The relationship is predicated too much upon the physical aspects and there's not enough just getting acquainted and knowing. You see, one of the characteristics of true love is that it is patient and it will wait for that God-ordained time. And any guy that tries to hustle you along into bed before you're married doesn't really love you with the kind of love that you want your husband to love you. Get rid of him. That's the whole problem, you see. Couples are getting married without really knowing each other, without really loving each other, because too much emphasis has been on the physical aspects, which is not true love. True love will wait. Beautiful openness in marriage. There should be. They were both naked. They weren't ashamed. They shouldn't be. The two are one flesh. Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden? Now the serpent was not always what it is today. 
It didn't always writhe along on the ground. That is a part of the result of the curse. Living in the dust, eating the dust. What its mode of propelling itself was, we really don't know. Whether or not it was in erect position, whether or not it had even the capacity to fly, we really don't know. But Satan coming in the form of a serpent. First of all, question the word of God. Hath God said, ye shall not eat of all of the trees of the garden? And the woman said unto the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God hath said, Ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. Now that is Eve sort of interpreting or adding to what God said. God didn't say anything about not touching it. She's sort of adding to what God has said. return with more of our verse-by-verse Bible study in the book of Genesis on our next broadcast as Pastor Chuck continues to teach through the Bible. And we do hope you'll make plans to join us. But right now, if you'd like to order a copy of today's message, simply order Genesis 2 through 3 when visiting the wordfortoday.org. And while you're there, be sure to browse the many additional biblical resources by Pastor Chuck. You can also subscribe to the Word for Today podcast or sign up for our email subscription. Once again, that's the wordfortoday.org. For those of you wishing to call, our toll-free number is 1-800-272-WORD, and our office hours are Monday through Friday, 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. Pacific Time. Again, that's 1-800-272-9673. If you prefer to write, our mailing address is The Word for Today, P.O. Box 8000, Costa Mesa, California, 92628. And now, on behalf of the Word for Today, we'd like to thank all of you who share in supporting this ministry with your prayers and financial support. And be sure to join us again next time as Pastor Chuck continues his verse-by-verse study through the Bible. That's right here on the next edition of The Word for Today. And now, once again, here's Pastor Chuck. May the Lord bless and keep you in the love of Jesus Christ. And may you experience God's hand upon your life as He trains, as He teaches, as He develops His work of love and grace within your life, as He prepares you for the future and for those things that He wants you to possess of His grace and of His glory. May the Lord strengthen you and cause your life to be a witness for Him In Jesus' name. This program has been sponsored by Calvary Chapel of Costa Mesa, California. It's with great honor that the Word for Today would like to present Pastor Chuck Smith's book entitled Prayer, Our Glorious Privilege. With great clarity, Pastor Chuck masterfully taught the principles of praying to God our Father and emphasize the power that belongs to each one of us when we rely on the Holy Spirit to guide and nurture our prayer lives. I want to encourage you 
to pick up a copy of Pastor Chuck's book, Prayer, Our Glorious Privilege, and study it to put these biblical principles into practice. Read this book and come to the most amazing realization that prayer is the most potent weapon in your spiritual arsenal, and use it with great promise and hope. For when you begin a life of prayer, you begin a great adventure. To order a copy of this book in print or to download a digital copy, please visit thewordfortoday.org or call The Word for Today at 800-272-9673.